Big stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. The entire country of New Zealand in 2017 had 35 homicides. It's for the entire country in an entire year. The city of Christchurch, which is just over 400,000 people, just exceeded that in a day. 49. Put that in perspective, 2017, Canada had 660 homicides. Imagine if terrorists were to exceed that total in a single day in a single city. It puts things in perspective. I mean, either way, any way you look at it, it was a pretty horrific day. And I think any way you look at it, this was an act of terrorism motivated by a hateful ideology. And that's obviously something we should all be concerned about. Violent extremism represents a security threat. And you don't have to pick just one form of violent extremism to be concerned about. One can be concerned about Islamic extremism and the threat it poses. And at the same time, one can be concerned about violent neo-Nazi and white supremacist and white nationalist extremism. And the kind of violence that movement is capable of. As we saw in Christchurch yesterday, as we've seen elsewhere, in the U.S., in Europe, and in Canada, too. Well, joining us for some thoughts uh, on all of this, very pleased to welcome the program. Uh, Ali Rizvi joins us. He is the author of the book, The Atheist Muslim, A Journey from Religion to Reason. Ali, great to talk to you again. Welcome to the program. Thank you for having me, Rob. Uh, For you, and I've heard you speak before, and you, you talk about it in your writing, how you may be an atheist, but that culturally, in, in many ways, you still feel as though a Muslim. Does, does this feel as though it, it, it's personal, that this, this is an attack on you in many ways? Yeah, it does. Um, I, I grew up in Muslim-majority countries. As you know, I grew up in Pakistan and Libya and Saudi Arabia. My family's Muslim. A lot of my friends, uh, uh, I mean, I grew up in the Muslim community. I, the name that I have, uh, the way that I look, whenever... Uh, there are incidents of anti-Muslim bigotry. I, I've been on the receiving end of anti-Muslim hate. Yeah. Um, it doesn't matter whether I'm an atheist or I'm a non-believer. Um, eventually, when people try to put everybody in one group, um, you're still the target. So, yet yeah, I, I absolutely uh, am, am with all of my, um, you know, just my Muslim community. I'm you know, grieving for them, grieving for myself, just like everybody else. What kind of a threat does this form of, of violent extremism represent? How do we need to view it, do you think? I, I, we need to view it as uh, any other kind of fundamentalist threat. Uh, I mean, you know, you, you put it in perspective really well uh, earlier when you talked about the numbers. And uh, just another thing about the numbers, that uh, in Canada, it, as you know, in, uh, uh, in Quebec City, we had an attack on a mosque uh, almost two years ago by uh, also a white supremacist um, mm-hmm. ideologue. And um, the total number of Muslims who died uh, in, from that mosque attack and in Christchurch, this outnumbers the total number of victims of Islamic terrorist attacks in both New Zealand and Canada combined ever. Right? Mm-hmm. So this is obviously a serious threat. In the, in the Western world, Yes, Islamic jihadism is a threat. I've written about it. You know, we've talked about it before. 
um, and it, it's something that requires attention. But if we are paying attention to that and we're not looking at this as something that is just as dangerous or, or even more dangerous, uh, especially here in the Western world, then, then we're blinding ourselves. It's interesting because I, I know people like, like yourself can often find yourselves in an awkward situation where you're trying to call attention to the problem of Islamic extreme, extremism, but knowing that there are those, uh, those white nationalists, those on, on the racist side of things that are going to, to use that as an excuse to, to advance their racist ideas and the accusation that by highlighting the threat of Islamic extremism, you're, you're playing into that, right? So how, how do you balance all of that? Right. Uh, so, you know, and you're absolutely right, uh, because I'm critical of uh, Islamic ideology or because I'm critical of religion in general. Uh, people will. I've heard this today. You know, it's because of you, the things that you say that Muslims are getting attacked. And I always tell them, I'm like, this, this guy, the manifesto that he wrote, you know, he doesn't even know who I am. You know, he was responding to what he perceived as a threat from somewhere else entirely. And, and the example that I like to give is that you know, Noam Chomsky Right. He criticizes U.S. foreign policy all the time. Mm-hmm. Now, Osama bin Laden has cited Noam Chomsky often when he tried to justify uh, uh, attacks, terrorist attacks on Americans. And he has the same criticisms of foreign policy, and he even owns some of Chomsky's books. Now, does that mean that Noam Chomsky should stop what he's doing? Does that mean his criticism is not legitimate? Or does that mean that we should tell him to stop? No, you can absolutely, people can have the same diagnosis for something. Um, and, you know, whether you agree with it or not, I mean, pe- people can have the same diagnosis, but they can have radically different prescriptions. So while I agree that I think Islamic supremacy, like, you know, people who have like what ISIS does, what what Al-Qaeda does, and Islamic extremism, as you call it, is, is a huge problem. I don't think that the prescription for that is, is for us to become like the jihadists. I don't think that that's the right response. Right? There has mm-hmm. to be something that differentiates us. But... These uh, right-wing ideologues, clearly, when you look at this attack, I mean, they, they got inspiration from their jihadist counterparts. I, I consider them part of the exact same, I, they're, they're under the same umbrella. Yeah, I think it's an interesting way to look at it. And I mean, you know, the, the parallel I would draw as well is that, you know, we can condemn Islamic extremism while recognizing that it doesn't represent the religion, that in fact there are allies in the Muslim faith in our fight against Islamic extremism. The same would apply to, to white supremacists and white nationalists, that those that they right. claim to be fighting for, we need to be the ones to stand up and condemn it. We need to be allies in combating that extremism. Right. And, and uh, you know, one of the reasons that I wrote my book is because the central thesis, I, I wasn't hearing anybody talking about it, is that there is a big difference between Islam and Muslims. There's a big difference between ideology and what is a Muslim identity. So, you know, Islam is just a set of ideas in a book. OK, it's legitimate to criticize it. And you can uh, challenging ideas move societies forward. But, but Muslims are people. Muslims, uh, they have rights. Right? Books and ideas don't have rights. Mm-hmm. People do have rights. And demonizing people is, is the wrong way to go. Challenging ideas moves societies forward, but demonizing people rips societies apart. It causes more division. It causes uh, uh, murder and mayhem, as we saw today. So th- th- that's a very important distinction. And I think that both sides of the political um, aisle get this wrong. On the, on the left, they say, well, if you know, criticize anything about the religion, then you're a bigot against all Muslims. And on the right, they say, well, you know, Islam has problems, so that means that all Muslims must be demonized or, or banned from entering the country or, or as 
you know, we saw today, murdered in cold blood. So, so this is a very important distinction that everybody is missing. There's a big difference between ideology and, and human beings. Mm-hmm. You also made an interesting point today on Twitter about ideological blind spots. Uh, you write, if you were ever rightly concerned that the left is in denial about the ideological motivation behind Islamic terrorism, you should be just as concerned about the right being in denial about ethno-nationalist ideological motivation behind right-wing terrorism. But why do you think that we get trapped in these, these ideological blind spots? I think it's a, it's a matter of uh, a lot of it is about identity. Um, the you know just the fact that we we feel that we belong to certain communities and and we take pride in things that we did not work to earn. I mean I, I'm I'm proud of many things. I'm proud of if I earn you know if I if I have a certain career uh, that I am. If I'm a journalist. If I'm a physician. If I am a good parent. Those are things that I work to earn, uh, and I should be proud of them. But if you're proud of Genetic accidents, like you know, the, the being born, uh, you know, a proud American or being a proud white man or being a proud Pakistani or, or whatever you are, then th- that's not you're taking pride in something that you did not work to earn. And, and you know, one of my favorite comedians, George Carlin, said, you know, this is it's a genetic accident that you're taking pride in. You know, you, you didn't you didn't take you didn't put any effort into earning that identity. And when we do uh, resort to that. Um, and we make that the center of, of, of everything, of our existence, then, then we start blocking out. We're not open to ideas anymore. We're driven just by uh, identity. And that is an irrational way to look at things. It blocks you from, uh, from understanding the perspectives of other people and how other people live. Mm-hmm. Do you think the, the distinction between Islamophobia and reasonable critique of, of Islamic extremism, that, that it's clear enough that, that we can condemn and try to eliminate Islamophobia, but still be able to have rational conversations about extremism? I, I think that what we need to do is we need to use the term anti-Muslim bigotry. So we don't call it Judaismophobia. Right. We call it anti-Semitism. And because anti-Semitism is a people-directed term, right? And it, it, it really encompasses a, what, what that bigotry is. And I think if we call it anti-Muslim hate or anti-Muslim bigotry, then we could have a lot of people who oppose this term, Islamophobia, they oppose it because it conflates criticism of uh, ideas or criticism of, of Islamic doctrine with bigotry against Muslim people. And this is a problem. It has implications for free speech. And I, I actually, when I testified uh, to Parliament in uh, 2017, um, I, I even told them, I said that if we start using this, liberals, uh, and I consider myself liberal, if I start using the term like anti-Muslim bigotry, uh, then I get everything. I don't lose an iota of what I want to achieve uh, by bringing about, you know, as far as, you know, bringing attention to the problem of anti-Muslim hate. Uh, but, uh, but. And, and I also get more support from, from the opposition. And I, that's really the way that I think we have to frame it. The, the Muslim Brotherhood really liked the, to use the term Islamophobia because it actually exploits the pain, the genuine pain of victims of anti-Muslim bigotry, and it uses them for the political purpose of stifling criticism of Islam. Mm-hmm. Right, And, and that's, a, that's a very sinister thing. So I, I think we need to start... Uh, talking about it in a different way. And the moment you say anti-Muslim bigotry, you immediately, you don't have that luggage of uh, legitimate criticism of Islam being yeah. an issue. Yeah, and I like that. And it, it's it's much more clear. It's much more direct. And certainly what we're talking right. about in Christchurch uh, is definitely yeah. and, anti-Muslim and, and bigotry. Real. 
Right. Yeah, it's it's real. Anti-Muslim bigotry is something that is 100% real. We've seen it today, and I've I've said many times before. I've been on the receiving receiving end of it as well. So so that is something that is absolutely real, and I, I don't want anybody to think that uh, you know people who are critical of Islam or, or people who are ex-Muslims are are in denial of that. Uh, very, I mean, the vast majority of them know that it's a real phenomenon. Right. And it's interesting, too, because, I mean, ultimately, it's racism we're talking about here. Obviously, though, Islam is not a race, but these are people who are self-proclaimed white nationalists to warn of white genocide. So it's it's religious bigotry, but it's 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 racist at some level, right, because it's not seen as a white religion. They even look at Judaism the same way, don't they? Yeah, they do, uh, and it's uh, it's fascinating because even Christianity. I mean, Jesus was very likely not white; right. he was a Middle Eastern man. Uh, so, so the but but it is race driven, and I, I hear a lot about this identity politics and how the left, you know, fetishizes identity. But the most toxic form of identity identity politics is still among uh, these uh, these people on the far right because they're entirely driven by it. You know, ideas of ethno nationalism and judeo-christian heritage and our you know i this this guy the the suspect identified as european even though he was in australia and he was completely confused about um the colonial history so so there are I, I, they're absolutely obsessed with with identity and, and it's it's a very very toxic um way to go about things it's a toxic way to think because it just blocks you from even looking at ideas that that may disagree with you that you could potentially learn from. By the way, and I mean, speaking of ideas, um, the, the manifesto posted by the gunman, and it, it certainly gives some insight into to his thinking, his worldview. Uh, right. is, do you think it's something that, that people should read or expose themselves to? Yes, yes. And I've made this point. I think uh, we need to see this ugliness for what it is. This is a, a threat that is rising. It's becoming more intense. You know, people think of terrorism as Islamic terrorism, and legitimately so, but this is a rising threat, right-wing, ethno-nationalist, anti-immigrant terrorism. I mean, this is something that is it's clearly laid out in this manifesto, and I think that everyone should read it. Our problem is when we start saying that, oh, this act was senseless, it was... I, I can't even explain it. It's inexplicable. Whenever we do that, we're we're completely foregoing an opportunity to understand what drove these people. So then, when it happens again, we don't see it coming, right? Mm-hmm. So, so we need to understand what. And this whole idea that that's what he would have wanted. He would have wanted everybody to read it. The people who want to read it will read it, one hundred percent guaranteed. But right now, we have an opportunity to be informed about this to provide a counter narrative. We can't provide that counter narrative. If we don't read it, and if we don't understand what's driving these people and striving this ideology, and enough to, too many people are in denial about this this rising threat. Right now, it's hit everybody in, a, in, in the face in a very, very horrific and tragic way, and and it's time that we actually learned about it. And and I, I think it's a good thing that he that we have the opportunity uh, to to have like this what seventy three eighty page I can't remember the exact number of pages this manifesto that that this guy wrote. Uh, so we can really understand what we're dealing with. Because if you don't have the diagnosis, if you don't have the right diagnosis, you can't treat the disease. Well, exactly. Well said. Ali, we'll leave it there. Thank you so much for joining us here today. Great conversation.
Thanks for having me, Robert. All right, take care. Uh, that is Ali Rizvi. He is author of the book, The Atheist Muslim, A Journey from Religion to Reason, really making some, some important points about all of this. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.